Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. We have another encouraging and practical episode ahead of us today, and I'm so glad you're joining in. I hope by now you've taken a minute to subscribe to the podcast. Of course, you can do that on our website, which is teachereditionpodcast.com. While you're there, please be sure to submit your questions or your funny stories. To share a question, it really is just the simple click of a button. Just go on our website, click where you see the record area. You can record your question for us to share right here on the show. You'll also see there how to submit a story. And you know, some of the most heartwarming and hilarious stories come from our invaluable interactions with students. So we would really love it if you would take time to share those. And of course, we are on social media as well. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook. And you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. That is Teacher Edition Pod. Today, we're going to talk about coming alongside students who are struggling with speech or language issues, and not language as in a foreign language, but in actually speaking and communicating. As educators, we can often quickly identify when something just isn't right, but really past that point, it gets pretty tricky for most educators. And I know I've been there myself, and while I've had an idea of what might be going on, actually helping that student and giving the student strategies that are best for that child individually. That was just out of my area of training and expertise. And, you know, I can say that each time I've encountered that, the Lord has graciously brought along someone who is trained and is so prepared to come alongside and help those struggling students, as well as their parents and teachers as well. And one of those people is Sharon Younger. And Sharon is a hero in my mind. The Lord has blessed her with a gift in this area, and she's just been a help to so many young people. And Sharon, I know you juggle a really full plate. So thank you for taking time to be on the podcast and to share your expertise with us today. Thanks for having me. It is an honor. And um, I love collaborating with teachers. That's uh, what I do right now. Like and for the past four years, um, I co-teach with teachers in the classroom. So it's super fun. Um, y'all have the expertise. I don't have, I have expertise you don't have. So it's really fun to work together. We definitely need each other a lot to help kids. So, well, that's perfect. That's exactly what today is, is we're collaborating and we're going to tap into your expertise, hopefully, and be a help to our listeners and to me as well. So before we jump into our focus, though, for today, I just want to start with a little bit about you so our listeners can get to know you as well. So Sharon is a speech language pathologist. She holds degrees in communication disorders, as well as speech language pathology. And she has her clinical certificate of competency from the American Speech Hearing Association. She has worked in a number of different school environments for nine years. And actually, for the last four years, she has specialized in literacy and language disorders at a school for children with dyslexia. Sharon truly loves all things education. I can vouch for that. And she loves speech pathology. She really has a heart for it. And the Lord's given her a talent in that area. So she loves also spending time with her husband and her family is growing. And I hear she's about to be outnumbered in her little family. So that's very exciting. She's a painter and a reader, just a lot of talent. And honestly, she's just a very thoughtful, patient and caring person, which obviously is something you need working in this field. And that's why she's so perfect, among other things, why she's so perfect for this. So Sharon, 
I'm really hoping you're planning to just spend your entire day with us because I have so many questions for you. (laughs) But I wondered if we could start with the foundation, both of your work and who we are as Christian educators. You are daily working with students who are struggling. You are encouraging them and teaching, supporting, and honestly, you're just pouring into their lives. So maybe we could start with this question. How does your Christian worldview impact your work as a speech-language pathologist each day? Hey, thanks for asking that. I love um, talking about this and um, talking with other Christian educators about it um, so we can encourage each other. Um, but yeah, I think three main things come to mind with that. Um, like big picture, um, just remembering that when God, you know, with that that Christian worldview of creation, fall, redemption, like it does impact us. Like when, you know, when God created the world, um, he said it was very good. And it, it was, you know, very good that we had a relationship with him, but he said everything was good. You know, he said the trees were good and the ecosystems and our how our ears were formed and how our brains are formed. And he cares about everything that he made as a creator and artist. And um, just knowing that um, the world is good in general is is um, powerful. And then, you know, also knowing that the fall has affected all of that. So and that's sad, sadly why I have a job. Um, so, um, you know, if if it was perfect, I don't know that there would need to be speech language pathologists. But um, the cool thing is that, you know, God has had a rescue plan from the beginning of, you know, from the very beginning. And it wasn't, you know, sometimes we um, maybe only remember that he came to save us from sin and to um, restore our relationship with him. But he it's not a partial rescue plan. It's it's holistic. You know, everything he created that he said was very good. He wants to be very good. And again, and so um, when I'm helping someone to communicate or to learn better, um, I'm, you know, getting to give my my little community, my little part of the world, a little foretaste of his redemption that will one day be complete. And so um, even if I'm not getting to share the way to go to heaven at the moment, I'm still giving a taste of Jesus and his rescue plan. And so that that um, helps me to find value in whatever I'm doing, um, even even if it's not like sharing how to get to heaven at that moment. It's still really important. And um, I, I love that aspect. Um, but secondly, um, I think, too, just knowing that, you know, the God of all has forgiven me, has adopted me into his family. Um, it impacts, you know, how I um, go about my day. I want to reflect him in every little thing that I do. So, I mean, not that <laughs> I'm even close to doing that, of course, but, you know, just getting down on a child's level and like making sure they feel completely heard and no matter how long it takes them to get it out, you know, that's reflecting what Jesus does for me and how he cares for me. Um, you know, showing grace to a coworker going through a difficult phase of life. Um, God shows me grace. I want that to come out of me. Um, you know, even those difficult moments at work, like having to disagree with a coworker or, um, having to set boundaries with someone, but and at the same time, remembering, yeah, I might disagree with them, but they are made in God's image and they deserve respect right now and love. 
And so I can do this in a loving way. And, you know, those can be hard moments, but God empowers me to be able to reflect him in those moments at work. So I think, I think just reflecting God is a big part too. And then um, last is something I'm really passionate about. Um, I think a Christian worldview has helped me to learn not to overwork. Um, and, and of course not underwork as well, but, um, especially after I got out of grad school, I jumped into my job, wanted to be perfect. And I, um, just burnt, I burnt out that first year and, um, had to, had to actually quit that, that job and start a new, new job, the job that I have now, which I, I love. Um, go to counseling and just start a healing process of recovering from burnout. And um, I was able to understand that, you know, because of this worldview from God that I have, you know, Jesus is the savior. He's the one ultimately doing the whole redemption plan. And I'm just a little piece of it. And so I can, you know, love at work and pour out at work, um, but I'm not ultimately in control. Uh, um, He's going to do the saving um, and he has also called me to other vocations, not just speech pathology, you know, being a church member, a, a wife, you know, other thing, friend, you know, other things. And I need to focus on those things that he's called me to as well. And he's also just called me to rest. And, um, I don't have to overwork as if everything depended on me. Um, so, um, Praise God for that <laughs> uh, as well, because uh, I think everyone in the teaching profession, it's a lot of emotional energy. We care about these kids a lot, and we ha- have to remember, too, that Jesus has freed us from overworking. Yeah, those are great thoughts. That's excellent. So I'm guessing if I were to poll our listeners, a high percentage of them have at some point encountered a student who's struggling with speaking. And really, that can be any age. I think we often think of this as an elementary issue, especially the younger years. But in all honesty, I mean, this can be present in any grade. So as educators, we notice an issue and then comes the bind. Should we be concerned? Should we give it more time? Should we say something to the parents? What should we do? So in your expert opinion, when should a teacher ask a parent to think about speech therapy for articulation or struggles with sounds? And really, what can teachers do to help a child with articulation? So there's kind of two parts there. Yeah, great point. Um, It can be at any age. Um, Actually, when I went to college, I still had a tiny bit of a list. And my uh, professor helped me with that in college. So, And I'm very glad that someone, I wasn't aware, honestly, um, and uh, that, that my speech teacher, you know, pointed it out and, and helped me to, to work on that. So yeah, really, you know, at any time it can be very helpful. Um, but yeah, um, I guess just kind of centering around when to refer. Um, I think just, you know, I know these listeners could be teaching any age, so I'm just going to start at like three years old. Um, basically by three years old, um, a child should be approximately 75% intelligible to an unfamiliar listener. So, you know, parents are amazing at, you know, interpreting their child's language. But as a teacher, as teachers, we're really um, in that place to um, be much more objective and aware of how intelligible that child really is. And um, so if 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 they're not intelligible 
um, over three years old and you really, meaning you really are having trouble just understanding what they're saying and they're over three, then, you know, they really, really need speech therapy and just refer, um, and give that information to the parents. Um, but of course, um, you know, over, you know, sometimes the child is very intelligible, uh, but there could, can still be a glaring, uh, difficulty with saying a certain sound. Um, the most common sounds that children have difficulty with are R, uh, T H L L and S. Um, but you know, you're going to hear many other difficult sounds as well. Um, so what, what I would do is, um, because I know that we don't want to just jump in and tell the parent right away without trying anything. Um, so I'll ask the child, you know, hey, you know, can you say if they said, you know, I, I want spaghetti. Um, oh, can you say for me and just ask them to repeat the sound all by itself. And if they can't repeat the sound all by itself back to you, then um, they're not going to be able to get it. It's not emerging. It's not coming. It's not going to just come. So um, now if they can say it, so they would need speech therapy. But um, if they, you know, can repeat it back to you, you might try for a month or two. Just, um, <clears throat> you know, when you notice in a low pressure, fun way, you know, just have them say it back to you and see if it starts to improve. Uh, because it's probably emerging if they can say it back to you. Um, but even if they can, um, you know, they might still need some speech therapy to generalize it, to really get it in their muscle memory. Um, so you can try for a couple months um, at most, but then I would refer. So um, in, in, in the show notes, um, we're going to hopefully be able to link like an easy handout you can look at for devel developmental milestones. So you can know, wait, because, you know, if they're four, do they need to be able to say the S sound? Um, no. So, or, you know, the R sound at four? No, they don't need to be. But basically like L, they need to be able to say by four years old. TH and R by five or six at the latest. T, um, you know, TH is more six years old. So you can just look at that. And if, you know, they should have it by the, that age and they don't, I would definitely refer because... Um, you know, we know the younger a child is, the more plasticity in their brain. It's so much easier, so much easier to correct that sound. So it's great to just let the parent know because, you know, it might take the parent a while to make that decision to get into speech therapy or um, to really be able to get in um, from a waiting list, um, get in for speech therapy. So it's really great to just let them know. Um so, yeah, um, as far as supporting that child in the classroom, um, you know, if they are in speech therapy, just try to get in touch with their speech language pathologist and just ask for a few tips um, because it's different for every child. If they really if that child is really having a hard time just um, solidifying the sound in isolation, you really don't need to be working on it in the classroom. Um, the parents can be doing some things at home, but it's probably, you know, not needed to work on in the classroom. But as the child gets more confident with it, it would be great if you could, um, you know, just encourage the child gently to say a, a word back to you 
um, with their good good speech sound and stuff like that. So yeah, sure. It seems like it would be helpful to, in a right way, reinforce in the classroom. You know, if they can be a help, it seems like teachers would be great if they could step up and help that. And we with the child, how many hours per day? But just making sure we're doing the right thing to help them is definitely so important. Now, I want to jump back quickly on, you mentioned talking to the parents. So you said multiple times, just reach out to the parents, reach out to the parents. Okay, so do you have any tips on how to approach this with the parents? I'm sure that's that's a careful topic. What can you recommend? Yes. Um, Even for for me, I've really had to work through how I'm going to word it to parents. And, you know, you can pray and you can ask for wisdom and God might give you a creative way to say it, you know, um, just knowing that parent and stuff. But I think there's three things that that help have helped me as I try to think about how I'm going to word it. Um, first of all, like in the world of speech language pathology, an articulation error is like the easiest thing to fix. Um, it's super common um, and has not, you know, so just so basically just telling the parent that this is really common. And it has nothing to do with the child's intelligence, and it's very fixable. I kind of start off with that. It's common, nothing to do with the child's intelligence, and it's very fixable with speech therapy. Really is. Um, second, I think just remembering that as professionals, we learn so we spend so much time with these kids, and we learn so much about them. But that information isn't really ours to have. We're not going to carry on with that kid for years to come. Um, it's really that child's information and the parent's information. Um, and it's I think it's our job to give them what is theirs. It's not my information that your child has difficulty with speech sounds. It's your. It's, it's, it's about him. It's your info. And so just kind of viewing it as I'm holding something that's not really mine. I need to give it back to them. That has helped me. Um, and then um, <clears throat> last, um, I think just taking the pressure off you know, ourselves. Like remembering our responsibility is to give the information. Um, once we've done that, our job is done. You know, it's not our responsibility to make that decision of to go get the speech therapy or how, like honestly how to pay for it or where, you know, I, I, I've worried about that at times. Like, oh, I don't know if this family is going to be able to pay for it or different things. Well, we don't know what connections they have or, you know, what resources are out there. Maybe like there's a lot of resources out there for people to get very affordable or free services. Um, so um, I think just remembering, you know, we just give that info and and they decide, you know, they that's their role to decide what to do with it. Um, and, and so just giving that to them. So I, I, I might say something like, you know, hey, I've noticed um, that as, you know, your child's teacher or I've noticed that your child has a little difficulty saying some sounds. It's really common. A uh, little speech therapy or not. I wouldn't say a little because it might take a few years. Some speech therapy can be just the extra boost your child needs to conquer that. Um, you know, it has no correlation with intelligence. It's just really common. But at his or her age, she'll likely need speech therapy to overcome it. And you can give them you know, a list of developmental milestones for speech sounds. Um, You know, I just wanted to share this, um, you know, and I know that, you know, you know your child best. I trust you to make whatever decision um, you need to. But if you need help, you know, finding a therapist or anything like that, just let me know and I can email you some resources. 
So that's that's typically how I how I would word it. Yeah, I love that. And I love it's just, you know, each situation is so individualized, but just that caring and putting their mind at ease, you know, that <laughs> this isn't something you've done wrong. This is something we can work on and we're going to do this together. You know, I'm I'm on your team. So that's why I'm telling you. I really like that point. That was that was great. So I think when most people hear terms such as speech issues or speech language pathologists and so on, their minds often tend to jump to stuttering. Stuttering can be heartbreaking to watch as a student struggles. And unfortunately, it can even be the focal point of unkindness or giggles or bullying. And it can be so frustrating to the student, but also those, even those wanting to help. So maybe if we could take a few minutes and just talk about stuttering could you share some thoughts on when a teacher should ask a parent to think about speech therapy for stuttering and how can teachers support those students in the classroom? The the number one thing that I want people to remember about stuttering is that stuttering is okay. It is okay. It's uh, neurobiological, um, especially if it starts after five years old or uh, continues after five years old. It's not going to go away. And I, I like to just tell kids um, and parents, it's just another way of talking. You know, some people talk quickly, some people talk slowly. We all there's a lot of different dialects. Um, it's just another way of talking, and it is it is okay. Um, and so, just you know, viewing it at, not as something that um, is going to go away or it that it's a bad thing when it happens. Um, that's really important. Um, however, um, you know, it still is something, um, to work on, um, because stuttering, like you said, Jenny, like it can be very difficult for a child to deal with and it can, you know, that, that, you know, teasing and different things can happen. And so it's definitely something to address, um, even though it, it's okay. Um, so yeah, you know, in the classroom, let, let the kid know it's totally okay. And also, um, like they need a safe space where they are given time to talk. Um, so create an environment where everyone understands that people can talk in different ways and that they can take as long as they need to talk and that their words are valuable no matter how long it takes them to get it out. Um, and we do want the child to take their time, but we it's really easy to keep telling a kid slow down. And that can get really um, old if you're a person who stutters to hear that all the time. Someone telling you slow down, slow down, slow down, take a deep breath all the time. So the best way to help them to do that is not to tell them, but to show them. So I like to say um, like internal, like uh, internalized Fred Rogers, like in Mr. Rogers neighborhood, you know how he just talks slowly. He takes pauses. He, it's not extreme, but he just kind of slows his rate of speech down five miles an hour, you know, you know, and just talks at a slower rate. And you'll, and I also will say whenever I'm talking about stuttering, I tend to stutter, which is totally fine. It's okay to stutter. So, but it's okay. We do all stutter um, and it is okay. Um, But if you start to talk at this rate of speech, you know, that I'm using right now, 
people around you will automatically slow their rate of speech and it will become a more thoughtful conversation um, often. And it can really do great things for communication by just slowing down the rate of speech. And so by you as a teacher slowing your rate, that child will feel that they can slow their rate and other people in the class will as well. And it will probably help everybody. So um, that's a that's a good, a good go to. Um, so but when to refer for um, speech therapy, um, basically stuttering is would be considered, you know, um, an actual stutter if it's uh, if they're stuttering on more than 10 percent of their words. Like I said, we do all stutter. Um, but if it's more than 10% of their words, then it's like an actual diagnosis. Um, and I would refer if you're noticing that it's, you know, above that rate or that amount, that percentage. Um, but if you notice any of these other um, like three characteristics I'm going to give you, then definitely refer as well. So if the child is demonstrating frustration with their stutter, refer. Um, if you're noticing that they have complete stops where they, they, they weren't able to kind of keep bumping and along like a little gentle stream, but it completely stopped, um, that we can, we can help with. We, um, that isn't, um, you, that's usually a sign that they're really holding a lot of tension somewhere and we can, we can work on that and make speech a little bit bump along a little more easily than that. Um, and then last, if you notice any type of um, tics or what we call secondary behaviors where um, they may be trying to get out of a stutter by like twitching or wincing or slapping themselves, pinching themselves, saying um, 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 or like a lot. Um, those little secondary behaviors are just going to get worse and worse and make their speech so much harder to understand. Um, you, we, you know, psychologically as a starter, a stutterer, you think that that's going to help you get out of your stutter, but it's actually going to make it worse. So just getting some help with that um, would definitely be important and, and helping the child to, to feel like they don't have to hide their stutter, um, but rather that they can just bump along through their stutter and, um, help them to move more easily through their stutter is what we want. That's that's more the goal of speech therapy. It's to help them bump along a little bit more easily, making stuttering easier, not eradicating it, because that just isn't usually usually going to happen. Right, right. And I think there's the thinking that maybe it can do away with it. So if that's just great information even to know right there. So thank you. That was super practical. So we've talked about articulation. We've talked about stuttering those speech issues, but there's more to the term speech language disorders. So I wondered if you could take a few minutes and help us understand that second part of the term. So are there other disorders that need to be on a teacher's radar? And what do you recommend as far as referring those to a pathologist for that as well? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for kind of pointing out the L in speech language pathology. <laughs> Love that L part. Um, so, yeah, so I think the most, well, the most common other disorder that you're going to see, especially just in a typical classroom, um, you might be at a, a special specialty school or something, so you're, you're going to see it there as well, 
Um, but even in just a typical classroom, what you you will run into um, is um, the, a language disorder, which is called developmental language disorder, DLD. And this is a relatively new term. It was finally decided on in 2017. Um, but it's a condition that we've known about for hundreds of years. It's been called expressive receptive language disorder, specific language impairment, speech language impairment language delay. And, you know, that got really confusing to have all of those different terms. And so now it's just called DLD. And the really cool thing about that is now if you Google DLD, you will find so many resources. And that before you didn't because it was just, you know, so many different names for it. Um, but that's exciting. So definitely know that you can Google, Google it now or ask a parent to Google DLD and they will find awesome resources. Um, but it is important that it is, um, easy for people to get information on because, you know, we know that like autism, for example, through awareness, a lot of people know about the signs now and they can, you know, kids can get earlier diagnoses for that. Um, dyslexia is something too that, people know about more now and can Google it and find great information. Um, and um, now that DLD is, you know, a, a more, you know, consolidated term, I guess, um, it people can get that info. And um, so the statistic is that um, one in 14 kids have developmental language disorder. So, you know, you probably have one or two kids in your classroom who have DLD. Um, so, um, the thing about DLD is that there's a very clear association between a link DLD and academic disadvantage. Um, well, why is that? You know, everything that happens at school involves language, it, you know, whether it be science, social studies, literature, reading, math, Bible, you know, comprehending a joke that your friend tells you in the hall, all of that is language and vocabulary. So um, if, you're, if your kiddo has DLD, you're probably seeing them struggle academically and that's probably starting to get on your radar at a point. And you might be searching for why are they struggling academically? And this, this could, could be it. Um, but it's hard. It's kind of been called an invisible uh, disorder because um, it's just not as obvious as autism or an articulation or disorder or a stutter. Um, but I, I do want to share some, some signs with you guys that, um, can help you know if, if, if the difficulty is DLD. Um, so I found a list that really resonated with me, um, as someone who works with a lot of kids with DLD. Uh, because half of kids with dyslexia have DLD, but at my school, I think we have the more severe cases of dyslexia. So we have all even probably like 75% of the students have DLD. So I, you know, have gotten to work with hundreds of kids with DLD. So, um, so these are, these are really good, um, signs I think that will help you identify it. So I found this on, um, the website, um, drive for literacy. So, um, and I'm adding my own spice to it as well, but, um, the, um, I'm going to start just going through some symptoms. So 
if you are asking your, if a child has spoken to you and said something to you and you're asking yourself, what have they just said to me? And you're struggling to work out what it meant, um, then there could be DLD very likely uh, because DLD is um, difficulty comprehending and just expressing your thoughts into words. Um, and so um, that's an indicator of that kid who you're scratching your head when you really don't know what they meant by what they said. Um, second, um, kids with DLD are often described as not listening, staring out the window blank or in their own world. And we know there can be so many you know reasons for that, of course. But when you think about it, if you're not comprehending what your teacher's saying, really hard to keep listening. You're, you're going to tune out. And so, um, yeah, or, um, it definitely DLD definitely affects writing as well. So maybe you've, um, asked them to write something down or start their write journaling and they haven't written anything. And you're like, uh, we started five minutes ago and you haven't written anything. Um, that's yeah, that could be DLD. Um, Third, um, if a student is getting into trouble in group situations, um, either in class or during break time, um, you know, it can be because they aren't understanding what their peers are trying to say. Um, or, and, and like, you may also notice that they can't, they might be getting in trouble because they can't explain what happened. Whereas another student was able to clearly explain the incident and they just couldn't. And so they may be getting in trouble or often too for that. Um, fourth, um, if you notice they're missing um, grammatical endings to words like I play in the park and it can be hard to pick up on those little things, but you, you'll probably start to notice over time, like they sound a little immature, you know, because they're saying I play in the park rather than I played in the park, you know, that ED past tense verb ending, super common. Um, or just other, you know, plurals, or they're, they haven't picked up on any any of those irregular past tense verbs. They're always saying, you know, I fighted and, you know, instead of I fought, or I, you know, bide instead of bought, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you might just notice in general that their words are out of order and jumbled. Um, they may not use long sentences. Uh, they may really just have very simple sentences, miss, missing conjunctions. Um, and that those kids can be real head scratchers, but just know that that's probably DLD and an SLP can help with that. Um, and also what you're doing to teach them, you know, sentence structure and, you know, um, you know, in, in your writing time and in your ELA English time, you know, all of that is going to really help them too. But, um, so yeah. Um, if they just don't understand the rules of the games, um, you know, you're, you're just noticing even social issues like they, uh, the, the rules of the game just went straight over their head and they're trying to find, figure out from other kids how to play. Um, um, another thing that we see a lot is like beautiful handwriting, but um, the content bears little resemblance to the task. Like it's really not on topic, but you know, they're, they're really good. They have their strengths for sure. Yeah. Um, they definitely might be just the quiet kid in the classroom who isn't raising their hand. Um, yeah, that happens so much. And, and we have to, we have to call on those kids. Um, I like to say the speaker is the learner. Um, so getting a lot of discussion in class so that the kids are, 
um, talking and those kids have time to get out their thoughts um, and, um, and, and build their language, uh, have those opportunities to build it. Um, and just difficulty explaining what they want to say. Um, and then maybe, um, you know, not, not getting jokes. I think I already said that, but, um, having trouble reading between the lines, multiple meaning words, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I, I, I was talking to one of my sisters who's been a teacher for longer than I've been an SLP. And, she was like, I think I have five kids like that in my classroom. And I was like, yeah, you might. Um, so it, um, it, DLD is common. And um, if you're noticing multiple of these characteristics, then that pro- child probably has DLD. Um, and, and so look into that um, for sure. Um, and then I just thought I would give like a couple top tips if you have that kid with DLD in your classroom. Um, I, I I could go on and on, but I'm just going to pick like two or three top tips. Um, first of all, um, as far as comprehension, you know, you want to make sure they're understanding what you're teaching them. So just taking moments to, you know, if you give a direction, for example, um, you know, they miss a lot of directions. They didn't understand it. And before we start to, you know, go into that parent-teacher conference saying, you know, this kid is just not listening, um, maybe really try getting that child to repeat back to you what they heard. Um, you know, um, having them say the direction back to make sure that they really did understand it. Um, of course, using lots of visuals, um, you know, a lot of kids are visual learners, but um, with DLD, because the all the words aren't making a lot of sense, if you have pictures and you, you're modeling things for them, that's really going to help. Um, so that's that's kind of to help with that comprehension. Um, well, I guess my next tip is also going to help them with comprehension, but it's also going to help them with expression. Um, I, I hope this is practical. I um, Whenever I'm reading a read aloud, I like to... Um, you know, preview it, um, which I know teachers do anyway. Um, and so when you're previewing, um, you know, most of the time I think we do, um, I just grab a sticky note and I, um, just write down a few vocabulary words that I know are going to be tricky. Um, and, um, I stick that in the front of the book. And then I also, think about any background knowledge they might need to understand the book. Um, so like, for example, I was reading, um, like a flat Stanley book, um, with a, a child and it was about, um, like the great Egyptian grave robbery. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, looking through the first chapter, I wrote down like the word exotic keenly, like as in keenly aware, um, federal offense, um, archaeology. Um, and, you know, you don't even have to pick four words. Um, in chapter three, it was like looting, it, ex- exporting, curator, um, some words that were actually repeated. So I'm not just going to pick like a super rare word, like even archaeology might be like a little bit rare. I may not need to target as much unless that's a lot of what the book is about, but like exotic, um, or, um, exporting, 
those are words that that kid is going to be able to use in a lot of contexts. And if we te- if we pre-teach that word, there's a lot, there's really good research that pre-teaching the word before you get to in, in, in the book really will help it stick better. So if you, you know, have those words in the front of your book, you, you target those words and, and discuss them, give a few examples of those words. Then you jump into the book and you tell them, you know, listen for those words or you, you can clap when you hear the word. They're going to be in tune with it. They're going to be excited. They know what that word means now. And then, of course, you know, um, trying to find, you know, ways to use the word throughout the day. Like, oh, you know, you're uh, the, you know, look at this. I don't know. I'm trying to think of an exotic animal, but like, a, um, I don't know, a penguin or, you know, uh, I don't know, just some interesting animal. Like, ooh, that's an exotic animal. I haven't seen that very much, you know. Or your shirt has so much sequence on it. It looks exotic. Or, you know, just trying to tie in that word for them can really help. Um, And I just like having, you know, those words on the sticky note in front of the book. Then every time I pull out that read aloud in the future, I can just remember, oh, I need to uh, review these words. Um, And like for that book um, about the great Egyptian grave robbery, like there's this whole multiple chapters where the setting is a bazaar. So, I mean, just pull up some pictures on, you know, from Google and help them picture what a bazaar looks like. Um, You know, it's in Egypt, you know, Um, just looking up some pictures of Egypt before you start the book. When they can visualize, they're going to comprehend so much, so much better. So I just like to have those sticky notes in the front of, I have, those sticky notes in the front of so many books. And I just know if I'm teaching that, I need to quickly, you know, teach this background knowledge, teach these vocab words. And that is going to go a really long way. And especially if every day as you're reading this chapter book, you review those few words every day, multiple times, uh, they're definitely going to need to hear it multiple times. Um, then you can, um, yeah, that can really help build vocabulary and, and background knowledge, which are huge uh, for comprehension. Um, yeah. And th- then I guess the third thing is just stick with that kid. It's going to take them a long time to get out their words. And it's going to be frustrating because the ADHD child and the, you know, super like high IQ child over here, which actually you can have super high IQ and have DLD, but they're losing attention because this kid's taken so long to get their thoughts out, but we have to stick with them and let them get their thoughts out, even though it takes them a while. And so just, just remembering to stick with them while they try to get their thoughts into words. And then if, you know, they, if it doesn't, if you understand it, but it maybe doesn't totally make sense, just rephrasing it back to them in a fun, gentle way so that they can hear it said with correct grammar and syntax. That's great too. Yeah, that's super. Thank you, Sharon. That is so practical. Like, I feel like we we need to do multiple sessions on this topic because I just, I feel like this is so helpful for teachers as you get in these situations and you want to help, but you don't know if you're helping the wrong way or maybe you should be doing something and you're not. So these are just so practical and I just, I'm so appreciative of that. So thank you for being so practical and really just knowing where to start is half the battle. So you're giving these teachers just a lot to go off of. So before we wrap up, sadly wrap up. I would love to jump to a question that actually came in from one of our listeners. And Sharon, I would love your insights on this as well. So here is our question for today. 
Hello, my name is Amanda from Clemson, South Carolina, and thank you so much for taking my questions today. Um, my first question is, how do you deal with students who are making fun of or just asking curious questions about another child's speech issues? Um, and related to that, there have been a number of books published over the years that are promoted as being helpful for talking about speech issues. I'm thinking of I Talk Like a River or Hooray for Winnie Watt. Um, what are your thoughts on those? Okay, so that's a packed question. Students of all ages struggle on how to relate and respond and help someone who's struggling in speaking. And of course, the student who is struggling is having their anxiety go through the roof You know, when others are putting pressure on them or reacting. So Sharon, I'd love your thoughts on that. You're the expert. So if you wouldn't mind jumping in, we'd love that. Yeah, I've read both of those books. And hopefully everything I said about stuttering kind of helps with the I Talk Like a River book. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good one. And it might be better to read it with the child one-on-one or in the classroom setting as long as it's you know safe and healthy emotionally for the child. But um, yeah, I think you know whenever a child is getting made fun of because of their speech, you know, if possible, you know, take it as a teachable moment. Um, so kind of the direction I often take it is um, sharing with the class that, um, you know, we all are really good at some things like God's gifted us all with gifts. Uh, we're diverse. One person right in the body of Christ, you know, one person's an eye, one person is an ear, one person's an elbow. We need all these different things, but we're not all good at seeing. We're not all good at hearing, but some people are really good at that. So just talking about how like um, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses and, you know, um, and those things where we get actually like, you know, to break away from the body uh, analogy, we can grow. We can have a growth mindset. We can grow in those things that are hard for us. Um, and I like to just model this vulnerability and saying, you know, like for me personally, like I was, I was really good at learning cursive. I also, you know, learning to read was not hard for me. Um, I was, I was naturally good at those things. However, um, I struggled to say my S sound. Um, I struggled to understand fractions. It actually took me like 10 years to actually have a full light bulb moment and like, like understand and enjoy fractions. But I, worked at it and I got better. Um, it felt like an eternity for me to learn how to ride a bike as a child. I think it took me like a year, but which felt like an eternity as a child. Um, so, you know, we all have things that we're growing in and, you know, speech is something that, um, that some kids are growing in, but you know, we all have those areas that we're growing in. Um, and so it doesn't mean we're dumb. It just means we're human. And nobody is born good at everything. So let's not make fun of each, each other for what we're not good at yet. Um, but encourage each other, especially if someone's trying to improve in something. Um, so, you know, with Hawaii for Wadney Watt, um, I think it can be a, a good, you know, fun book to, to read. Um, basically, you know, in the story, Rodney cannot say his name. He cannot say his R's. And, you know that was something he kind of did need to work on because other people could not understand him all the time. And, you know, that was unfortunate. However, 
in the book, he definitely has some strengths. He was very witty and clever and was able to, you know, use his difficulty with speech to actually outsmart a bully. So, um, you know, saying, hey, look at how Rodney, hey, maybe he struggled with speech is saying a sound which he he you know he can get help with and he he probably was working to improve it but he was really clever and i know most of us probably wouldn't have thought of all those cool ways to outsmart the bully using our speech difficulty so um i like the book too it's just great for building inferencing skills you know why were some of the kids able to understand it but others weren't well they were familiar with him discussing the characters, the feelings of the characters and building empathy. And, you know, um, and, and, you know, if a child has difficulty with phonemic awareness, being aware of sounds or aware of their own speech difficulty, it is a good way to kind of say, oh, wow, you know, one sound difference in a word changes the meaning of a word. Every sound does matter. So you can kind of point that out too. So that's kind of my take on um, how to handle the teasing and using those those kinds of books in um, a classroom setting. Yeah, that's super. That's great. And those are a couple of things that popped in my mind. And you you mentioned them. My, my few thoughts on this were it really does depend on the class and the individual. You know, how are they emotionally with things and how mature is the class? You definitely don't want to use a book that will result in more laughs and more mimics. <laughs> we definitely don't want that. And sometimes I know I've come across a couple situations where Sue was just struggling so much. It was just drawing so much attention. The parents actually asked, could they explain to the, could the student explain to the class what they're going through? And boy, did it build empathy in those students. And they just rallied and, you know, loved them. And that just, again, that is the classroom culture that, it, you know, that a teacher sets. And I, that was, those were special moments that doesn't work in every moment. But those were those are really special times. So I'm sure you've seen similar things like that as well. Yes, absolutely love what you added. Yes. So I thank you again, Sharon. This has just been fantastic. And I really I hope in the future we can have you back to keep visiting some of these topics we didn't get to finish out because this has just been very helpful. So I appreciate you joining us. And for those of you who are listening, the resources that Sharon mentioned, those will be also in the show notes. So if you didn't get to jot those down quick enough, be sure to check them out in the show notes. You'll find them there. And thank you, Sharon. Again, you've been so helpful. And I know I learned so much from what you shared. And I'm very confident that our listeners have as well. And you've given us great tools just to get us jump started and headed in the right direction. So thank you for taking time to join us. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teachereditionpodcast.com to submit questions for our upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day, but it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. Go do what God has called you to do.